1: Welcome to Dear Lovejoy, and today is another special. Uh, today, um, I'm going to be having a conversation with Mark Forsyth. Mark Forsyth is uh, usually better known for his um, take on the English language. He likes to talk about that. He's come on Sunday Brunch a few times. But he's written a book called A Short History of Drunkenness. Uh, Mark, you enjoyed the conversation, didn't you? Oh,
2: I, that was so great. I loved that. That was because that was just that encapsulated the whole of sort of history or human history just in a really interesting way taking one little element out of it and oh there was so, and I was because you you hadn't actually I hadn't seen your interview and I was going oh I hope they talk about prohibition I hope they talk about, and you did and I find that topic so fascinating yeah so
1: he talks about ancient Greece and he yeah. talks about Rome and he talks about um Egypt uh, he talks about old prohibition and say well, uh, animals and alcohol and- oh
2: if- any podcast that features drunk monkeys has got to be brilliant. <laughs> How great's that?
1: But it, what's what's fascinating, I think, about alcohol is is the fact that it's it's been so important in yeah. human history. At the moment in this country, it's going through a bit yeah. of a bad phase. As yeah. in, we love it for the wines and the cultured end of the market. But that's
2: what he was saying about it's fine when rich people do it, but when poor people do it it's seen as an a- a- epidemic and i completely agree with him
1: yeah, that's i've true. always
2: i've always said that it's very but, true yeah but it was fantastic because i've actually um i've drunk in a speakeasy have you yeah
1: there's a few in london now that pretend well, speakeasies no but, no, well, no the original is, speakeasy this
2: was i was i was staying uh, we were staying um vi- I'm visiting some friends in a place called silver lake in la uh-huh and they were renting a 19 a house built in the 1920s and built into it underground was a speakeasy. They had a full... Oh, they, cool. they, they were three or four guys. Imagine this, three or four guys in Silver Lake near Hollywood renting a, renting a property, and they had a huge garden. And downstairs, he went through a little door, and there was an, a, four, a fully fitted bar with a bar and seats and stuff. Uh, it was astonishing.
1: Nice play. I bet that improved the drink.
2: Oh, it was just so yeah. great because you'd, you'd get yourself a drink and then you go up and have a barbecue in the garden. It was absolutely okay. incredible.
1: Well, let's find out more than A short history of drunkenness. Here's Mark Forsyth.
2: This is just a guide to modern life. Modern life is hard to get just right. It can frustrate you and annoy it. And if it does, right into dear love joy.
1: Welcome to my kitchen, Mark. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you for inviting me to your kitchen. With with all guests, I, I like to buy them a present. And today, I think I've got you something quite exciting. You do drink. Oh, yeah. <laughs> very, very much. i drink my fair show. Well, because we're talking and about your book, a, a Short History of Drunkenness and I bought you some alcohol. I usually buy people some wine, but I thought I'd go for something a little bit more... Um, uh, oh, it's
0: all beautifully wrapped up in red tissue.
1: Yeah, a little different, so... Um, it it is. Oh, I, I don't. really know what it is. It's called oh, a London London Cup.
0: London Cup. What oh, Mark's 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 doing the sign of it's now. good. Now the man yeah, in the yeah. shop
1: described it to me as a um, like a pimsy type thing. And uh, uh do you like do you, do you like pims? Do you like that? Sort oh, I do of thing? like
0: pims, and pims is gin based.
1: Well, I looked because yeah. you've got a history of drunkenness. I, I looked it up, and this is the story. Punch proliferated in a city gone mad for gin. After British sailors returned to London from India, they brought with them the magical potion that it takes its name from the Hindi word punch, uh, meaning five, and named for its five flavor components, spirit, sweet, dilution, citrus, spice, and bitter. Our Sipsmith London Cup is inspired by these punches of old and blends Earl Grey tea, lemon... Verbena, Is that you say it? And yeah. borage. And uh, with a selection of vermouth and bitters. And of course, our classic London dry gin. So that's where it's at. You know, in, in punch, by the way, because it's an Indian word.
0: So yeah. the pun there is um, five, means five. And it's the same pun that you get in the Punjab, which is the land of five rivers.
1: Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's it. And, and the reason why you're good at all this sort of stuff is because you know your language, don't you? Um, I've interviewed you a few times on uh, on uh, Sunday Brunch, and you've always come on to talk about um, words. What is your job exactly? Uh, I don't know what my job
0: is. <laughs> I avoid having a job by writing books instead. So I... <laughs> I write books. Um, I don't know. I tell us
1: tell us what your previous books are.
0: So uh, my first three books were all about history of the English language. First book was about etymology, where words come from. Uh, things like the origin, of the word punch and Punjab and how that's related to the pen in Pentagon, which five sides, it's all, all the same thing. And the weird and amusing stories behind very familiar everyday words. And um, words we all know well, but you don't know the story behind them. So then my second book was called The Horologicon, and that was about words you don't know for very familiar things, words which are in the dictionary somewhere but haven't been used in, in years, things like ergophobia, the fear of going to work, or gongoozling, <laughs> or which is the act of sitting by a canal, staring at the water and doing nothing.
1: Were they ever used?
0: Gongoozling. Weirdly enough, I wrote that book about words that are no longer used. Since then, I've discovered talking to people who um, live on canal boats that word is still up and running in oh, the is canal. It? Yeah, in the houseboat community, Gongoozling is a thing. They'll say, "Oh, look at that
1: gongoozler just staring at us." I was I was looking up a word the other day, and I think it might be an American word, not a. British word, but you can you would know, uh, or an English word. Say, is that a word? No. Yeah, yeah, it's in, a, it's
0: in a song. Several songs use
1: that word. <laughs> Lollapalooza. Lollapalooza. How do you say that word? Lollapalooza. 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 And, yeah. and I looked it up because it's obviously a music festival and I thought, I wonder what that music festival is about. And I realised it's an it's an old-fashioned word, which means uh, excitement, exceptional, or something like that. What does it mean? I can't even remember. What does it mean? Do you know?
0: Lollapalooza. Yeah, fun excitement, I fun think. Exciting. Yes. Yeah. I'm not
1: quite sure. I'd need to have a look at uh, it. Do words come... They, they, they have a lifespan don't they? Some of these are some of these words words leave the English dictionary constantly and other words come in. is that right? Well, sort I mean words die, they
0: get lost sometimes. I mean there's a beautiful old word wamble cropped meaning uh, say so if your stomach's wambling, that means you've got some sort of indigestion. Yeah. If you're wamble cropped, that used to be a way of saying you were had such bad indigestion you couldn't stand up, you're completely wamble cropped. Okay. Beautiful, beautiful word to say. And that's that's died out, for example. But there are other words which um, are, you know, still going strong, you know, hundreds, thousands of years later. And the dictionary, the, Oxford, the full Oxford English Dictionary never removes a word. Doesn't it? No. Why? No. Because it's a, a record of how the English language has been used all the way back to the beginnings of English, back in the first millennium
1: AD. Do you like the evolution of the English language? Oh, I love it, yeah. I love the way words change. Do you like Lol? Uh, is that a word, actually? It's not really a word, Yeah, lolling
0: and ruffling and, um, yeah, they're, <laughs> well, they're words now, yes. I mean, anything is a word so long as it gets used. I mean, all of our, you know, every word was new once. Right. And words change their meaning, new words get invented, words uh, disappear.
1: Um, you know, back in the 1960s, everything was fab and now it's not, but... Yeah. Do, do, do we have more words in our language than any other language? Do you yes,
0: know? we do. We do. The Oxford English Dictionary contains more words than any other language dictionary. So I
1: suppose there's sometimes when you're in Spain or, or, or France and you're speaking the language and there's just not a word for it. You know, it's why they call it le dentist or something, is it? Or not that's probably not a good example. <laughs> I, I, probably, I think it's, it's le dentist. It's probably, but probably a I mean, French right word to that's begin problem. with, isn't it? It's <laughs>
0: But uh, Yeah, well, words shift language. I mean, yeah. English is a great big language because we borrowed yeah. or stolen words from... From, you know, every language under the sun, you'd uh, take, you know, anorak. That's uh, an Eskimo word.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm so useless for the English language, but my vocabulary is poor, uh, Mark. Um, I'm teaching my youngest to read at the moment. She's, uh, she's, she's sort of getting there, but it's quite hard because... With the English language, you, you get your rules of how to say words, and then a word comes up, which completely breaks them <laughs> yeah. constantly. It's so frustrating. And she goes, well, why is it that then when it's supposed to be that? And you're like, yeah, I don't actually know. But there's a, there's always a reason because they've come from another word. I come from another country. Yes, yeah, usually. Yeah. All right. Um, you've written a book uh, on um, a short history of drunkenness. Why did you write the book? Oh, why? Because
0: I'm interested... It's sort of the same reason I wrote the etymological. I'm interested in familiar things and how they've come to be like they are. Why do we we drink, number one? Also, why do we drink... We we, we all know the rules of drinking roughly. You know, you drink in the evening. You drink maybe on a Friday night. You drink at New Year. Um, You drink with people roughly your own age, usually. But is that all the way it's always been? Or has it... Has it been different? Why, why do we have these rules? Why, you know, a lot of them are kind of internalised to us. In, in Britain, for example, you know, you can't drink in the morning. That's, that's just a kind of rule in Britain today. Or you, you start unless you work knowing, on the market. Unless, yeah. unless you are either in an airport where for some reason <laughs> it's utterly fine to drink at 7 a.m., <laughs> Or at a cricket match. Those are basically the two places. Or
1: you work in a market.
0: Oh, yeah, work through the, the market, night.
1: Yeah. Then they have the pubs open up in the morning for them, don't they? Yeah, I used to work night shifts, actually. It was as a proofreader, but I'd go afterwards.
0: I'd go to Smithfield Market, and there was a pub there. It was what was the it like? Night. Oh, it was great. I used to get, Um, you had fantastic fry-ups, because it was Smithfield. Yeah. I had sort of five in the morning, and yeah, all the market traders there. and Were
1: they drinking beer and stuff at that time? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, they've been up for hours and hours. They were finishing their
1: working day, essentially. We discussed that that airport thing on this show, actually, because I I find it so intriguing that you'd want to get half cut to go on an airplane. I I just think the worst place you want to be drunk is on an airplane. But everyone disagrees with me. Everyone thinks that you go to the airport, you have a few drinks, you get on your plane to go on holiday. I think there's nothing worse than being on a plane having a few drinks because you can't get any proper sleep or anything, especially long haul.
0: I don't know. Uh, one, of the, one of the few things, I mean, another reason I wrote this book about drunkenness, it's, it's a sort of way of answering the question, is I wanted to know what, what drunkenness is. Right. And I've been drunk loads of times in my life, but I couldn't really, if, if an alien came from another planet or somebody who'd never yeah. you got drunk or seen people getting drunk and said, you know, so, so what is this thing you call drunkenness? I wouldn't be able to say, I wouldn't be able to define it. And one of the only things I'd be able to say about it is you're never bored when you're drunk. I'm serious. That's that's about all I you... can say. Other than that, you know, you can say a couple of physical things like your reactions are impaired. But that's not why I'm drinking. It's not why oh, I just wanted to slow down my reaction
1: ever so slightly. How would you know you're never bored? I don't remember.
0: <laughs> I don't remember that's ever that, being that,
1: bored. That's the, that's the problem with Drew. I was out the other oh, night. Oh, you... Yeah, I, I've got terrible memory now. And the older I've got, the worse memory it's been for, for uh, what happened when I was drunk. And I was out the other day and, uh, and I went for a pint and ended up having a few too many pints. And I woke up the next day and then the guy I was with came and had a little chat with me about something. And I had to pretend I remembered <laughs> what the conversation was about as my brain was seriously going, Oh God, what did we discuss? Good da, 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 da. enough, I, I've never
0: had or almost never had the memory loss thing. Really? It just doesn't oh. happen to me. I've had it on absinthe, which is dangerous. Don't uh, Well, I, I steer clear of absinthe these days.
1: But isn't there two different t- types of it? Isn't there the one which you're allowed to drink and then, then there's a the hardcore version? Or is it all the same? Ooh, I'm not I actually quite okay. right sure on that. I remember
0: getting lost between... My friend lived opposite the tube station. And I was drinking absinthe at his place. And I walked out, and it's literally across the street, and I got lost on the way to the tube station. <laughs> but the, the other time, the only other time I've had proper um, uh, memory loss drinking actually was the first time I ever gave a talk about this book, The History of Drunkenness, right. I did it at a bookshop. And a friend of mine was, who uh, opened this bookshop was going to interview me on, on, on stage. And he thought it'd be a really funny idea if I had a bottle of whiskey in my hand the whole way through, which I could sort of swig from. And I thought that'd be a funny idea. The problem is that I got kind of nervous. I get nervous on stage and when I'm being, into, I'm very nervous right now. Uh, <laughs> and so I kind of, as a kind of nervous tick, I kept just swigging from the whiskey bottle. Yeah. And by the end of the speech, <laughs> the interview, I'd finished it—a whole large, full-size whiskey bottle—and I don't remember anything after that. Although apparently, I was I was awake for the next two hours apparently and so i started it was the next morning <laughs> i was actually texting everyone i knew who was there saying i'm really sorry if i did anything i've no memory of last night and they all texted back saying no you were really sweet apparently i just sat around smiling at people saying <laughs> Yeah, my friend i like you i've just I like i've you. just
1: thought of somewhere else you're allowed to drink in the morning that's on sunday brunch oh I, yeah i do i drink do i drink on sunday brunch here yeah, every week we have wait stuff. a minute
0: i've been on sunday brunch yeah you're not three in jokes, times
1: and i've never been actually i did
0: I got given alcohol on Sunday brunch Did once. you? Yeah. And it was really good quality. It was after the interview, though.
1: But if you do the drinking in the future, what you want to do is get coloured liquid. That's what the pros use when they're out doing that. They don't actually drink the alcohol. On each end, it's not actually alcohol they're drinking. Really? It's, it's, I, it's, it's fake stuff, yeah. I remember
0: when I first got a book, uh, book published and I was on a chat show. Uh, on the radio, it was my first chat show, I was very nervous, and the other people on it were all kind of old hands on the chat yeah. show scene. And it was, uh, we all had to arrive at kind of 10.30, I think it was, so we'd all had to set off from home before 10. And I said something along the lines of, I'm not sure about these morning things I get nervous and I can't have a drink beforehand to calm my nerves. And they all looked at me like I was, "Not into- you haven't had a drink. Really? Yeah. And I said, no, because, like, you know, I set off from home at uh, quarter to ten. And
1: they all looked at me like, yeah, you, amateur. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, describe the book, then. We haven't really got into the detail of it. It's like a, a journey through time of alcohol, is it? Yeah, so I wanted to stop
0: in at different times and places in world history and see how drinking happened then. If you found yourself in the ancient city of Ur in 2000 B.C., and you wanted to get drunk how did you go about it or what did you do in ancient egypt or what was a wild west saloon actually like or you know the medieval english tavern which you see in you know a robin hood film what was what's that really like that and so each each point i drop in on um and they're about i can't remember i did about 15 or 20 um chapters uh i how uh, i uh, I want to see how they thought about drunkenness how they made this weird anarchic thing fit into society and then in as much detail as possible where you when you got drunk where you got drunk who you got drunk with how what were you drinking out of at what speed did you get flat out drunk or did you get pleasantly you know merry or were you falling over or vomiting you, and to See in detail how
1: you got drunk in, say, classical Athens. Okay, uh, we'll go through some of those in a minute. But but we've got a quite a bad relationship with alcohol in this country, haven't we? We're binge drinkers. We 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 drink to excess, whether we like it or not. We look at our European cousins, and um, they don't do what we do. They can have a couple of glasses of wine and leave it at that. We have to have a couple of bottles. Well,
0: down the Mediterranean, you mean, yeah, yeah. It's it's called technically. It's called um. Anthropologists call them wet cultures and dry cultures. In wet oh. cultures, it's you're fine and happy with alcohol. It's lovely. And you can drink in the mornings You know, a little glass. You see Italian, you go into a cafe in Italy, you'll see people having a glass of wine in the morning. And you can drink all day and you never get drunk. And it's um, all fine. Dry cultures, so-called, are like us and Scandinavia. You don't drink on weekdays. You don't drink in the morning. You can only drink at particular little times. And then you get flat-out drunk.
1: Okay, and so we're a dry culture over here. Um, yeah. How I uh, will tell you a quick story before we go on. Steve McManaman playing for Real Madrid. Um, I used to go and see him play sometimes, and he told me was, he said some of the players at Real Madrid, they'll have at lunchtime prior to playing in a Champions League match or a La Liga match, they'll have um, a small beer. Right. <laughs> the first time he saw it, he's like, "What?" Why is going on? Because British culture is you have a small beer and then you'll have another small beer and then a large beer and then a large beer. There's not a chance that you're just going to have a small beer before you go and play football. He could not believe they were doing it. I
0: think uh, there's, I, I believe that one small drink can help with your reflexes and coordination as well because it makes you less nervous and calms you down right. a bit. Yeah, it makes your action slightly more natural. And then the next drink after that. You, your reflexes go down and down and.
1: Well, again, down. I'm I'm out of my depth here, but I, I believe that snooker darts and the, those sort of pub games they were they they often would drink just to calm their nerves, and when they banned it from the actual TV show, they were having to apparently go out the back and drink before they went or they would have their water bottles and in, <laughs> in it they would have a clear spirit to keep their to keep I their nerves going
0: i once heard i don't know if this is true but in in darts cuz they used to hold the the pint in their hand whilst they were throwing the darts you, you yeah. remember that and then the darts governing body decided that this was giving the sporter a bad image. And so they banned holding the pints in the hand. And for the next year or so, the average scores actually all went down. People got worse at darts because the darts players, as I heard it, were so precise in their throwing that that weight Wait, in the, the other hand would, uh, was actually being taken into account. And so they were missing the triple 20 because they were... Okay, how did
1: we become... I, by the way, I wish I lived in a wet... Culture, wet culture. Wet, yeah, I wet. live in a wet culture. My my flat is a little wet culture in the middle of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but wet, or well, did you call it a wet, a wet culture, a wet or wet dry culture? culture. culture. Yeah. I wish I believed in a, I lived in a wet culture because the dry culture just just uh, drives me nuts that I have to go and drink to excess. But but why did we become dry cultures and wet cultures? What was the evolution to that? Do you know. Uh, it's
0: hard to say, and it switches around. I, I mean, odd enough, if you just read Down and Out in Paris and London, George Orwell, book, yeah. he talks about how, um, and this is in the 1930s, how in, Fran- in Paris, everyone's a binge drinker, and in London, nobody ever gets drunk. So, and, and that's not that long ago. Right. So these things can swap around and move. Sometimes, I mean, there's a bit, actually, when I was writing about the Aztecs, um, uh, their drinking culture... And they seem to have had a very dry culture, where you didn't drink for weeks' time, and then on uh, the occasion religious festivals, you suddenly got flat out religiously drunk. Um, and then the Spanish conquistadors arrive and uh, with their wet culture, and they also destroy the old religious calendar. So now there's alcohol available all the time, and there's no calendar, there's no particular time. But the Aztecs, who'd been binge drinkers, therefore just started binge drinking all the time, and
1: this caused massive problems of rampant alcoholism. You see, Jack, it's really funny talking to you about alcohol, because I feel uncomfortable being a TV presenter and someone in the media. Alcohol is... is, is um is bad at the moment. That we're in a path. We have to tell people to drink less and never yes. Well, we're in a ser- drink of moderation is what I always have to say, but we're in a we're in a you know it goes in cycles as you say and everything. We're in a we're in a period of time where alcohol is bad again at the moment. We and and I understand why there's addiction. There's a lot of uh, stress on our A&E departments and everything else. And, and there's a lot of violence and fighting and a lot of bad stuff which happens with alcohol. But I imagine it's its roots are in something which was celebrated years ago. Oh, yeah. So, so we're at a weird stage now in our history where we think it's bad, but I imagine when it was first invented or we first came across it, it was thought of as unlocking Mother Nature's little secret key or Loads something.
0: Loads of cultures have thought that alcohol is absolutely great. Um, and uh, were very happy with it. Uh, everyone's been wary of alcohol to some extent or another, and that's that's. A, as I say, that was another thing I wanted to look at in the book was how, because all societies want, all governments want order and peace and sobriety, whereas um, drunkenness is not about order and peace and sobriety, obviously. So how do you how do you fit that in? There are lots of uh, cultures which have just thought. Wine and beer were great. You have the wonderful goddess of wine, Ninkasi, say in ancient Ur. They loved their beer. They drank all day. It was uh, uh, very happy. There's nothing in their literature about alcohol being bad at all. Similarly, the Vikings. I mean, the Vikings were deranged binge drinkers. Their whole culture revolved around it. They thought alcohol was wonderful. Their chief god, Odin, just um, didn't even eat and didn't drink beer, just drank wine all day, every day. That's the only thing Odin ever consumed, was wine in Viking culture. Do we know when people,
1: humans, first started drinking alcohol? Uh,
0: basically, uh, before we were humans. <laughs> all of the higher apes um, and most developed mammals uh, uh, try to um, will drink alcohol if they can get their hands on it. The question is, when did we start making it? Because alcohol occurs naturally. So just leave fruit to um, go off a bit, and it starts fermenting and you get natural alcohol. There's an island off Costa Rica where there's one particular kind of tree and particular fruit which produces loads of alcohol, and the mantled howler monkeys who live there um, just eat this fruit constantly, and they consume the equivalent of sort of three bottles of wine a day if you're adjusting for body weight, and then they just lie around in the forest canopy, utterly drunk. (laughs) And then occasionally fall out and die. Uh, but
1: That's a weird thing, isn't it? Well, I, I, you start at the beginning of your book by discussing animals. It's quite interesting. Yeah. Let's, let's get on to this because um, there's been tests on rats, haven't they, um, giving them alcohol? What happens yeah. to rats?
0: So rats, if you give a rat colony a, a limitless supply of alcohol, initially chaos they all get drunk but then they quickly calm down it becomes very human in a weird sort Sorry, of so can i just
1: take tell you back well so if you give them how does it come is it just pure alcohol they're drinking or how do they make it uh, so it's-
0: yes i think well it's a dispenser which gives out um, alcohol in solution so without much taste but
1: it's But they Uh, know the effect, and they like it, and go back.
0: Yes, they know the effect, they like it, and they go back. And quickly, they calm down into a little routine. And they start drinking only uh, two times in the day. They drink just before they feed, which scientists refer to as the aperitif. And they drink just (laughs) before they go to sleep, which is known as the nightcap. And then every four or five days, you suddenly get a spike in alcohol consumption in the whole colony. Um, So it seems that they all have little rat parties. And it it's all sounds rather lovely. But then there's a slightly sinister side, which is that in a rat colony, you have a social hierarchy. It's like, yeah. you know, dogs or whatever. And there is always, um, it's the low-status males who always drink the most. And there's always in a rat colony the dominant male, who's known as the king rat. And the dominant male, the king rat, is always a teetotaler.
1: Why do they think this is? Because he has to make decisions for the...
0: We don't know no. why.
1: I mean, the problem is you can't talk to rats. You can't second guess. <laughs> I
0: mean, there, there is an odd, a beautiful, odd little one about um, fruit flies. Fruit flies yeah. um, consume alcohol because they're at the fruit and the fruit's going off. If a male fruit flies um, is sexually rejected by a female fruit fly, he dramatically ups his alcohol consumption. And we don't know why exactly, because you can't talk to a fruit fly. We don't even know if fruit flies are conscious or have any thoughts at all. But it seems they're drinking because
1: they're broken hearted. Okay. Um, I, th- I was just wondering if you said they they eat before they, they drink before they eat. Does, does alcohol make you hungry? Is yes, it-, it does. It sets off
0: a little receptor in the brain, whose name I completely forget, um, which uh, essentially makes the brain think it's starving so that you eat more.
1: That's hence why we always do the kebab thing. Or the, yes, exactly we, that. The burger or whatever after we've been drinking. Uh, there was also some experiments on, on, on ants as well, you wrote. I, I read in the book.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful Victorian experiment. If, if you um, get ants drunk, they, 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 this Victorian scientist used whiskey specifically, um, then they, they pass out. And if it, other ants from the colony... Uh, see them passed out, they will pick up their friend and from the same colony and take it back to the ant's nest. But they won't do that from ants from another colony and another ant's nest. They only look after their own. Right. So this, this weird little behavior. He was trying to work out how do ants know Who's in Who's in their colony?
1: So do all animals get drunk? Then is it? Is it? it I'm not saying they do it on purpose, but all animals are susceptible to alcohol. Then, it just, uh, yes, just, yeah, and and it and it tends that most animals enjoy the experience.
0: Uh, yes, some of them get very bad hangovers. Charles Darwin wrote about how the best way to catch a baboon is to get them um, off. Just leave out beer; they get drunk, pass out by the beer barrel, and then you. <laughs> You find them with a hangover and just uh, bag them up. Um, wow. <laughs> they all, they all, yes, they, they they all like alcohol. I mean, some quite ridiculous. There a time in the 1980s, a herd of 150 elephants broke into a distillery and drank it um, and then got violent. Elephants tend to get violent when they're drunk. And... If you think about one drunk, violent elephant, that would be one too many. A yeah. hundred and fifty of them. They went around, <laughs> they ripped up this whole town. They, they I mean, it, it's funny and we're all laughing and I'm laughing too, but they did kill, I think it
1: was seven people. Wow. I was just, just I mean, it's just interesting to the thought process that... I, f- I want to say that if I t- if I wasn't a human, I'd chase alcohol. And go, oh, that's not for me. But you know, you're telling me if I'm an animal, I go. Yeah, I want some more of that. That's I suppose. Is everyone trying to escape life? I, I look for yeah. a, look for a new. It's
0: a new- also it's it's um it, you. There is energy in alcohol, right? Yeah, you you can you can process it. It's it's it contains nourishment. Okay. About ten percent of the enzymes in your liver are there just to turn alcohol into energy. You you
1: also say that you. Believe that farming might have been invented due to alcohol. Yeah. What's the explanation behind that then? So, sometime
0: around uh, roughly uh, uh, 6000 BC, we, we settled down, we'd been hunter gatherers, and then we settled down to farm. That yeah. term is sedentary farming. And the so question why did we do that? And the obvious answer is, we, you know, to grow bread. But the problem is, if you try and live on bread alone, man literally cannot live on bread alone because um, there's no vitamins in it so you um uh, get ill very quickly and you die uh but so uh, but we do get vitamins from eating meat so when the hunter gatherers well they couldn't really have shifted from um hunting animals to um just farming bread but um beer does contain vitamins it contains vitamin B which is the one you really need and so uh it's quite possible that we settled down and started making beer and then started Making bread after that. There are a few other reasons uh, for uh, thinking this. First of all, uh, beer is uh, constant through history, is that uh, water is uh, often just dangerous to um, drink. And also, if you settle down, once you've settled down from your farm, you now have to, well, you have to go for a poo somewhere. And that poo is going to get into the water system, which is going to contaminate all the water, which means the water is going to make you very ill as well, but not if it's turned into beer. Third thing, very important, If you beer actually contains more calories than bread. If you have a pile of barley and you want to get the most nourishment out of it possible, don't make bread, make beer. It's liquid, liquid bread. It contains more nourishment because essentially you're outsourcing the digestion slightly.
1: They always say years ago in the Victorian times and stuff, people used to drink beer, weak beer, but they used to drink beer because it was safer than water. Yeah, it? throughout
0: yeah. most of our, our history, we've drunk beer at breakfast, uh, mm. because, yeah, you don't want to drink the water. I mean, if you just
1: think of... But, where, it, was, w- but it was low alcohol, wasn't it? It wasn't like 5% No, most
0: of it was about, it would be about 3%, so slightly lower really? than us, yeah. But the thing is, you can actually, I actually experimented on this with myself. Uh, so you, you, you drink all day, and you often find records which seem at first sight, you go, wow, that's a lot of beer. So a medieval monk would have it in Britain, would have a, uh, a ration of one gallon of beer per day. And you go what a whole gallon of beer? Yeah, they must have been permanently drunk, but that's a gallon is eight pints, and if you consume that, if you're awake for sixteen hours in the day, that's a pint every two hours, yeah. and that doesn't actually get you very drunk. I actually, I, I tried this as a quick experiment. It's easy: <laughs> buy eight beers, drank one when I woke up, two hours later drank another, and I
1: wasn't. Did you feel no. terrible? That made me feel terrible. I'd always mm. feel sleepy all through the day. And, no, I was uh, fine. didn't really notice it much. Because alcohol seemed to be quite a um, religious drink, didn't it? Well, it's sort of the monks have always been making beer. I assume yeah. you drink it as well. And then in some of the churches, you got the wine. Well, uh, in loads of cultures, you have religious drinking,
0: drinking to... um where you're trying to get so drunk that you have some kind of vision of god which is yeah so in ancient so it... china they would drink until they had a um, had a vision of the ancestral spirits for example in ancient egypt um they ancient egypt they were crazy crazy binge drinkers really yeah and they would have this thing once a year they had the festival of drunkenness which we know quite a lot about and how it worked and uh essentially they you get together at the temple, the Temple of Hathor, and then they would drink and drink and drink until they vomited, and that was important. And then you drank more until you vomited again, and then drank more till you vomited again, until eventually everyone's just crazy drunk, at which point they all had sex. There was a great big orgy. This is quite well documented. At which point, and then late at night, very late at night, in the wee hours, they would um, pass out drunk in the temple. And then, whilst they were all asleep, the priests would wheel into the temple hall the great statue of the goddess Hathor, and they put it up in the middle of the hall. And then, at dawn precisely, they would start banging drums and tambourines and shouting and screaming and dancing and making a lot of noise. And everybody would wake up still completely drunk, yeah. And they would see the statue of the goddess with the dawn light on her face, and at that moment you were meant to have this perfect religious experience of the goddess Hathor and be at one with Hathor and anything you asked
1: Hathor at that moment she would grant to you, but you probably couldn't remember what you wanted to ask <laughs> and you had to go and then you had to go and sleep off a hangover yeah after that I, I suppose alcohol um, in its in its way through history has helped with the with the things like orgies. It's probably a little bit of a, in the Roman times, I imagine they drank quite a lot, did yeah. they? Oh, yeah. And I suppose that helped, helped when they wanted to get involved in their orgies and uh, things. Probably, yes. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> um, going back to the farming, um, it, 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 beer became, bartering was big back in the old days. Beer became, or alcohol became quite a big. It became money, didn't it, at certain stages?
0: Yeah, well, to some extent, yes. I mean, another great advantage of beer over, or alcohol, generally speaking, over bread, is it keeps for quite a while. I mean, depending on the kind of alcohol, but, you know, a bottle of whiskey... um, contains a bunch of calories and will keep for a hundred years or more and uh, whereas you know bread goes off goes rotten very quickly so it's a very useful thing it's something you can trade in and yes yeah, some of the very earliest writing one of the uh, letters it, uh, writing essentially developed to make IOU statements for uh, trading and stuff yeah. and it was uh, the one of the very early symbols was the symbol for beer
1: so, so I suppose when it started, it was um, there was fruit wines and, and wine and and ciders and things from fruit, and then you had your beer. When did actual hardcore spirits like whiskies and stuff? Did it all evolve at roughly the same time? Roughly. So, though the it's slightly complex, but I can take it
0: you through it quite quickly. Ancient world, no spirits at all. About a thousand AD, somebody invents probably. Uh, we get the uh, chemists, probably North Africa, work out how to distill alcohol, but they're probably not getting drunk on it. It's just a chemical discovery they've made. You can make this little thing. Then you probably seems to start being used for medicine sometime in the medieval period, but only in very small doses because remember it's still very hard to make, and you need the you know the, the lab equipment which would only exist in maybe a monastery, you know, at a, a rich monastery. And then it's in about it's in the seventeenth century that suddenly the idea of getting drunk on spirits and mass producing and going wow we you know this isn't just an interesting thing scientifically it's not just the medicine you can get sloshed on this stuff and that suddenly takes off in uh across europe which is where it really starts in the 17th century and um, with disastrous consequences in some cases.
1: Why do uh, people led to led to the death from alcohol? Loads of people. I mean,
0: when so the big one that came in in England was gin, yeah. and that was uh, the massive thing. There was a London gin craze in the early 18th century. Everybody suddenly got this 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 new drink. Everybody wants a bit of it. It's great. It was untaxed for various complex reasons, um, and but people would drink pints of it because if you you come from the countryside you you know you've been drinking ale all your life and and that, and you drank a pints of ale now here's this new drink oh give me a pint of that and this gin 18th century gin was about twice the strength of our gin and people would just drop down dead they wow. would what
1: from one pint, from drinking one night, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. wow. because well, yeah, well, I was or, going to say, sometimes but, faster. Because uh, I was going to say it's weird because you 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 would um you would assume that because people's life expectancy wasn't long years ago, so I assume that you wouldn't be alive long enough to, to, to get liver disease and stuff like that. But if you're drinking vast quantities, pint, oh yeah, pints you, and you, stuff, you can get it fast, really yeah. quickly. And
0: there's a little story I heard um I read a uh, about. Early 18th century, edge of London, there's a farm guy, farm boy, has arrived on the edge of London, mm. and some Londoners, for a laugh, decide to bet him. They, they offer him um, some money for every pint of gin he can drink. So this is his first contact with gin. He drank three pints and fell down dead on the spot. So that's how fast you can die of alcohol poisoning.
1: Jeez. How did you research all this book, by the way? Um, Lots of
0: reading up. An of- awful lot of sitting around in the British Library. Everyone, everyone sort of assumes. Whenever I've told my friends, you know, I've been writing a book about the history of drunkenness. Say, oh, that must be great fun to research down the pub, eh? Um, in fact, no, no. Sitting in the British Library, reading accounts of the ancient Egyptian festival of drunkenness, or um, there were there were just a bunch of whole books on the eighteenth-century gin craze. I read them all and then condensed them into a chapter.
1: How often does alcohol appear in history? It must it must just. Rear its ugly head constantly, doesn't it? Every pretty much every single society that's
0: ever existed on earth has had alcohol, and um, there are a couple that may not, no one's quite sure about um, Australian Aboriginals, but pretty much everywhere, alcohol or some other drug. So, in um, in North America, say before the European colonists arrived, they they preferred um, uh, tobacco, but. Uh. But basically, alcohol always wins out
1: as the drug of choice. Okay. When, when, when did bars start existing then over here in the UK or, or wherever? In the, well, in, in the world, you can find them in an ancient
0: city of Ur, 2000 BC. I've got a chapter on how, what going to a bar there would have been like. It would actually have been relatively similar to now. Um, oh, well, in what in what way? You just so off. as opposed to like the ancient Egyptian festival of drunkenness, which is yeah. crazy, and we'd all be there going, "Time to go, time to go." Yeah. Um, you went. Uh, your bars were on the streets. You'd go in. There'd be they were almost always owned by women. There'd be a woman behind the uh, bar. She would sell you a big jug of beer oddity oddity: you drank it through straws, so you'd buy a big jug of beer for everyone, put your straws, sit around it, each guy with your straw. You'd sing songs, tell jokes. So the beer would be brewed on site, so every bar is a little microbrewery. Um, they're slightly dodgy places um, to hang out. There would almost certainly be prostitutes just outside the door looking for trade. But we would we would recognise this kind of situation. Whereas if you went back to a like like you know, medieval English, old English tavern that you would see in like your Robin Hood film in the time of Good King Richard the Lionheart, and you, you know they always go in the Robin Hood and his Merry Men go into the village pub. Um, that didn't exist. They didn't have bars. They didn't have pubs in England.
1: Oh, when did that? The time come.
0: Around? Uh, fourteenth century, basically. No. Uh, people, but before that, people drank at home, or they drank
1: in the church sometimes, or they drank anywhere that there were. No pubs. Okay, so that was a later edition. You mentioned straws, though. I'm going to ask you a question; you might not have the answer. But what were the straws made of? I only say that because straws have become, you know, um, uh, something that you're not allowed to have anymore, as you probably know, because of the plastics and stuff. And I was just thinking, oh, wonder what their straws were made of. Reeds. Reeds. Okay, so yeah. they got their they got their reeds out, and then they were all sharing a beer or just one beer.
0: Yeah. So you you have a a big jug. I've got a picture of it in the book, actually. If you want i um, yeah, somewhere. But I'm uh, not that's going to work on a podcast. So, no, I don't think um, it will. But
1: I could, I could maybe try and describe it, which would be yeah. quite interesting if I could describe it Yeah,
0: that. it's in the Sumerian Bars chapter. Okay. Where are we? Ah,
1: dum, 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 dum.
0: Uh, Page 31. <laughs> I'm nearly there. Right. The illustration from. The oh, back- I've
1: got it. Right. So there's a big. Do you know what it's like? It's like when those people. Um, what are those smoking things called where people sit outside? Uh, Cocoa pipes. Yeah. Yeah, like it's like one of those. You've got two people sitting around, there's a big jug and jar in front of you, and then you've got straws coming out of it. So everyone's sharing a, a it's a bit like when you go to those bars, they do those huge cocktails now, don't they? Have you ever seen those? Fish bowls. What? Fish bowls. Fish Mark's saying they're called fish bowls. Um so yeah, so everyone sticks a straw in the problem with that is you never know whether you're getting enough. They go, the, the fishbowls <laughs> we'll are go- a great marketing thing because everyone goes well, I need to get my fair share here so everyone sucks a bit harder and then uh, and then the cocktail goes down quicker. Yeah. Good thing for the straws with their ancient beer
0: used to have loads of sediment in it, loads of stuff floating around, so the straw the the sediment all floats to the top, the straw goes into the middle so you can suck out the the, the pure beer.
1: Okay. Uh, what 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 happened in the wild west then? Um it, it, interesting time. I liked it that you would... We've got it all wrong, haven't we, in our films, what the world, what Wild West was like. It wasn't full of poor people, was it? And um, Oh, no. The Wild West was
0: very rich, um, as opposed to the, the, the coasts. That's why people went there. They didn't go there to lose money. They, they went because, though it was very risky and rather wild, there was an awful <laughs> lot of... <laughs> <laughs> there was... There, There was a lot of money to be made out west. That's why you went. And um, uh, usually mining or something or building railroads or trappers. And wherever people went with money, people would follow them um, to set up bars to try and take their money off them, basically. So we've got the saloons wrong, though. Yeah, some ways completely wrong, some ways r- completely right, oddly. I so um the most obvious wrong thing about Wild West Saloon is you know those bat wing doors they always have in yeah, every I Western love those, they, Yeah. Love those. Which if you think about them are completely pointless.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Why they, would you
0: have that? They cause, don't cause hide when you, anything, they don't keep you warm, they
1: don't And they didn't exist. Because when you throw the guy out <laughs> it makes a better impact when you're throwing him out. You know when the 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 the, 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 the bad guys have got the good guy, the good guys have got the bad guy, and they throw them out and they roll in the. Thing. That's that's why it's, it's a good impact for. no nope, didn't exist. No, sorry. Well, they have just normal doors. <laughs> no yeah, doors. just normal doors. Normal that's
0: doors. what you would have, obviously, because you know keeps the warmth in. I mean, just think how cold it gets in winter in America. Yeah. Um, if if you didn't have any doors. Yeah. Everyone would be sitting in there absolutely freezing to death. So I'm afraid they didn't exist. But, but,
1: you, but you said that during that time there was just tents, people setting up tents and things. Oh,
0: so Yeah, very early. What would the, the classic development would be, You might um, somebody might find uh, strike gold or something like that. You get loads of miners immediately coming out to try and find more gold. So now a town develops very quickly. The first guy to arrive... Uh, with the bar would be a guy arriving just with a probably with a barrel or two of whiskey and then just put up a tent and uh, these were called tent saloons and you just sold the whiskey out of those barrels until the barrels were finished at which point you went home if you see what I mean. So they were very, very temporary structures.
1: I can't remember, it's a while ago since I read your book, but there was a, there was a time in America that alcohol became quite dangerous because they were trying to get it out there. And so they were mixing it with any old rubbish to get it out there. And get yeah. It. Is that around that time as yes, well? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Wild West, there are all sorts of um, recipes still surviving on how to
0: fake whiskey. Um, uh, essentially, I mean, I was no because you gave you gave me this lovely sip, Smith um, gin yeah. mixed with tea. It's not tea. fake, I promise you. It's not <laughs> fake, but mixing um, pure alcohol with tea was actually a way of faking whiskey. And ah. then you add in some other stuff. Uh, a, a bit of creosote, I think, was in their oh. recipe for whiskey. Um, yeah, and all sulfuric acid goes in for something else. I mean, it gets it gets really very dangerous. And there's a reason it was called Rotgut. It was it was bad stuff, but it would get you drunk. Right, and that's what people were looking for at the end that's of the That's what people were looking for. There was a lot more spirits and beer, because obviously uh, spirits are easier to transport, or there's yeah. a lot more alcohol in a bottle, barrel of whiskey than there is in a barrel of beer. So that was the main one that came out.
1: Talk me through the most uh, the most amazing time, I think, in, in history was prohibition. Um, uh, why did it happen? Women
0: basically. Uh, <laughs> now no, That really is a chance. There, there are a lot of myths about prohibition. The, the main thing was there was an idea that grew more and more popular over the 19th century when there was an awful lot of drink being consumed in America. But the idea was that most men would get their paycheck at the end of the week and they'd take it to the saloon and they'd spend it all on whiskey and they'd come back to their wife drunk as hell beat her up, beat up their children, and then obviously not give their wife and children any money, so their wife and children were starving, and then they'd go back to work and then spend it all again in the saloon. So um, this, to what extent this happened, is very hard to say, because, you know, trying to get the records, but this is what people believed happened, and so it became the first feminist issue in, in American politics, because this is where women really come into the public sphere. They didn't have the vote yet, but they could start to campaign on this. So it's always the, the, the Women's Temperance League, etc., who are campaigning to close the saloons. And this is one of the really big things people don't appreciate about prohibition, is prohibition wasn't really anti-alcohol. The people going for it weren't anti-alcohol. They were against that, the saloon. And they were against a cycle of violence associated with the saloon. They didn't care about, you know, some guy sipping a glass of wine on a Thursday evening, if you see what I mean. They they wanted to stamp out. It's, I think the best analogy is, if you think about football hooliganism, the, you know, the easiest way to stop football hooliganism would be to ban football. Right. You wouldn't then care about, you know, a couple of kids kicking a, a football around in the back garden. You'd care about the banning football. The purpose of that would be to stop, you know, the West Ham Millwall game and to stop the hooliganism associated. So that that was the idea to break this cycle of, of violence. And it was so, a big sorry. feminist issue.
1: So they didn't ban alcohol, they banned
0: saloons. So they banned alcohol in order to ban saloons. Right. But in fact they didn't ban alcohol. They banned the sale of alcohol, which is slightly different. If you had any alcohol saved up, you could continue drinking it. That was perfectly legal. So, for example, Harvard University, they worked out that they had enough wine in their cellars to last for 30 years. So so, they were all right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you were a professor at Harvard, you didn't notice prohibition happening. So in some senses, very effective because it did close down the saloons and everyone went off to drinking speakeasies instead, which had a completely different... um, uh, social register was a different way of drinking. First of all, women were allowed in. And when though they'd been legally allowed in saloons, a woman would always be too frightened to go into a saloon. But suddenly, with this new thing, the speakeasy, all the fashionable <laughs> young girls went off to speakeasies to get drunk themselves. So it became a completely different culture of drinking, even though the speakeasy was technically So illegal. a
1: speakeasy was something which had, a, it looked like a, I don't know, a chemist from the outside or something, and then when you went inside, it was a... It was a, a, a speakeasy w- looked like anything. A speakeasy was anywhere you
0: could obtain alcohol. So often it was just somebody's house or their apartment. There's a weird little thing about culinary history here, actually. Italian food, Italian restaurants get popular in America because of prohibition. Because uh, so many uh, standard Italian thing to do was to open up your apartment to, um, let, and, and yeah. sell alcohol out of it. Well, people come to your apartment and pay for alcohol and then they'd throw in some food with it. And that's how Italian food got popular in New York. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, how long did prohibition last for? Uh, so it lasts uh, 13 years, I think. Well, it depends how you count it. There is the the great repeal moment. But in fact, prohibition came in quite slowly with um, a bunch of states... Uh, banned alcohol individually, and then it's not until um, uh, 1919 that you get Is it the sort
1: of states like Utah and stuff?
0: Is it exa- sort of- well, yes, uh, most of the Midwest states right. had... So most of the states had already banned alcohol before Prohibition came in, and then a lot of states retained their ban after Prohibition finished. So Louisiana, um, alcohol was still illegal up to 1966. I think it was. That's amazing. So, I'm trying to remember all this. <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's, it's, yeah. It's,
1: I'm, I'm asking you a lot of questions here. Um, so, so the the interesting stuff is the, the the how did it actually? So it was an issue for women. How did how did men decide to vote on it to actually make it happen? How what was the process? Do you know the process of it? Or yeah, it just became a. There are a bunch of processes going on together. So first
0: of all, you, it's a women's movement. Second, you get the men who are with the women and approve of it. And then you also get a bunch of people, which is odd. There's a large bit of the electorate called the drinking drives, people who were in favour of Prohibition even though they drank because they a lot of people thought when they were campaigning for Prohibition that it would just ban spirits and maybe strong wine. And they, it was actually a bit of a surprise after the, so the, the constitutional 19th Amendment, yes, uh, uh, Gets brought in, and then they argue out the specifics of so how far down are we banning? And it's in the only at that moment they realise oh we're going to ban beer as well. At which point a lot of people went whoa what? Um, there's a a big element is that um, it's the moment that women got the vote. Another big element is that the uh, as the movement for uh, campaigning for prohibition had grown, the obviously the drinks industry had been campaigning against the idea of Prohibition. And um, uh, uh, the drinks industry was mainly German immigrants. Uh-huh. And all the beers had German names. Right. And so the anti-Prohibition movement thoroughly associated with Germany and Germans. And the Germans were very, very popular in America right up till the First World War. Right, At which point you have this PR disaster. Women are getting the vote... And Germans and the entire beer industry suddenly looks unpatriotic, etc. Uh,
1: it's really interesting how things happen like that. And yeah. there's lots of points in history where there's a sort of the, 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 you know, these all things these come together and then extreme things happen. Like that. Well, prohibition seems extreme now to me, anyway. Um, so how did it end up becoming? How did they end up getting out of prohibition in the end?
0: Well, in the end, um, well, the main thing was the economy was tanking. Um, the Great Depression comes <laughs> well, along. it's Always about money, is And it? so yeah. why are we going yeah. to have this situation, yeah. which means people can't work in breweries, can't spend money, can't be barmen. Uh, it's, it's crazy. So um, yeah. they repealed it. Also, to some extent, it had worked. I mean, oh. the saloons were all gone. That oh. whole world of... Of the Wild West had died right. because they, prohibition obviously didn't work in New York, and we always think about prohibition in Chicago and New York, where the gangsters immediately took over. We don't think about Wyoming, etc., where you didn't have just a speakeasy down a dark alley because everybody knew yeah. everybody, and and so the alcohol consumption in America had decreased dramatically. There's a great myth people drank more during prohibition. It's complete nonsense. Right. Um alcohol consumption had gone down, the saloons had gone, that whole pattern of violence had gone. The Wild West, the exciting Wild West had turned into the very boring Midwest that we're familiar with now. Um Time to move on, and we need to get the economy
1: going again. Ah, so Mark, are you thinking what I'm thinking? Then are we? Are you basically saying we need to ban parts and restaurants from Britain for a while, and then we'll get rid of the binge culture? Is that what you're saying, Mark? Mark, I don't think that I don't think that will get rid
0: of the binge culture. No, I think. Is that what no, saying? I, think, for? Is that what
1: you're, <laughs> I think what we need is a
0: big recession so that everybody um goes back to the pub
1: i i do think on alcohol we need to, we need to put the prices up and and drink the um drink the uh, what's it called? AVB. Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, ABB, I think, yeah. I think we need to bring that down, which is happening. It's becoming really fashionable. All the items on Sunday brunch at the moment, it's the AVB coming down because they went really strong. Bring
0: the prices up so but that bring... rich people can drink and uh, poor people no. can't because an absolute okay. constant okay. of the history of drunkenness, which right. goes from the earliest times right up to now, is that when rich people get drunk, that's fine. But when poor people get drunk, they're awful.
1: Just awful. Point taken, and uh, I'll have to have a rethink. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But I do think it it used to be quite expensive when I was a kid to drink, so I'd be lucky if I could afford three three pints or two or three pints, whereas... I think now they do, I mean, I went to one place once and just for an hour, every drink was a pound. I mean, Christ, really? a pound. <laughs> Swindon. Right. Um, and it was like, how can this be a pound for a drink? This is ludicrous. Yeah, that's so that's it, incredible. It's, it's that's really hard, hard to, to, to stay sober. This was a few years
0: back. My A few so, years back, yeah. I was drinking in the House of Commons. I oh, I had the, a drink there. It's I was weird, the is but it? It's weird how cheap it is. Yeah. It's a classic example of what I'm saying. Drinking is fine when we do it, not when you do it. I well, went, I went and bought a round for... Apparently, you are not meant to do it, I'll discover later. I went and bought a round for sort of four people, and I took out... I handed over a tenner, and they... he's Counting
1: out the change, he gives me a fiver back, and then some coins. What? Yeah. Damn! I gen- Damn you! I, I, I generally thought when I was in there that um, and it might just be me being, seeing what I wanted to see, but I generally thought the left were drinking beer and, and, and um, <laughs> ales and the right were drinking white wine. But, I, that, you know, that's that's maybe just what I wanted to see when I was in there. It was a lovely hot summer's day and I had a, a nice drink. Did I you enjoy, go on that lovely terrace? Yeah, and I yeah. enjoyed speaking to people and they were all coming up to me and going, you're one of us, aren't you, Tim? And I'm going, absolutely not. I'm not one of any of you. I'm just uh, – but they all did it. Both sides came up to me and, uh, and the middle and said uh, – Uh, you know you're with us you're with us aren't you and I was like no but I've thoroughly enjoyed it it was really interesting meeting politicians in their own world Mm -hmm. uh MPs right um was there ever a time in Britain we were going to.? Why did we? We, did, we sort of banned alcohol, didn't we? We sort of have to read ridiculous licensing laws, didn't we, for for years. Have we ever tried to literally ban it at all over here?
2: Uh,
0: no, we've never no. had the movement for a full on ban in Britain. No. And I don't think we ever could really.
1: <laughs> we had strange licensing laws, though, didn't we? When I was growing up, when we were growing up. Oh, it was yeah. I don't know if I
0: was working in a pub uh, when. When they, Do you remember when they made um, Sunday afternoon drinking yeah. legal? Because yeah. when I was a child, Sunday afternoon drinking, the pubs all had to close between whatever it was to do and <laughs>
1: People used fun. to go
0: out and then queue up waiting to get yeah. back into them. And then so <laughs> it, it must have been, it was when I was 18, my first job, so it must have been about uh, 95, 96 um, I was working in a pub, and yeah. on the first legal Sunday, and loads of people came in to celebrate. And I was thinking, I don't know any of you; you don't come in here normally. Yeah, that's but, it. yeah.
1: and then we these they they had later licensing. Laws at one stage, we had to buy food. Do you remember that? There was like you could, you could stay open late, but you had to buy food. So everywhere you went, they'd serve you sort of like, I don't know, oh, a, yeah. a, some olives or something, some bread and some olive. I had, they, oh no, it had to be, it'd have to be hot food. Or something. I can't really remember it all. But there were some really strange laws. I just think, I just think the, uh, the what did you call them? The, the wet. The wet yeah, culture. Wet cultures, they yeah. just had it better. Let everyone drink all day long, any day, and just not overdo, <laughs> overdo it. All right, listen, we've got um, questions uh, we ask everybody who comes on this show, so I'll ask them to you, Mark, as well. What one piece of advice would you like to give our listeners that has been invaluable to your life?
0: Okay, I think this is related to writing, actually. Okay, so, um, this oh, good. That's clears great. up two of your questions on there at the same time. I know loads and loads of people who tell me they I, I meet loads of people, who say, oh, I want to be a writer. When yes. I say I'm a writer, they say, oh, I want to be a writer. And they don't, actually. Well, what they want to do is they want to be a writer. They don't want to write. They aren't interested in the process of writing. And right. that's something I've noticed. All they have is an idea that being a writer is wonderful. And they think, my life must be wonderful and I must spend all my time (laughs) sipping cocktails and swapping epigrams with other writers in exotic locations, which I don't. I spend my time writing. I spend my time wondering where to put a comma, where to put a semicolon. I spend my time thinking about what word to use in this sentence, and I don't have any work colleagues. It's a very, very lonely job. And um, just sit on your own all day writing. And people don't want to be writers, and they also they don't want to do the writing. And what I the advice I want to give is whatever job you decide to do in the world is about doing that job. You should never become a chef just because you like eating. You should become a chef because you like cooking things, because you like chopping things up, because that's what you'll actually do all day.
1: The, and yeah, go on.
0: Yeah, this applies absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Don't do the job because you like the outcome or like the product or like the thing associated with it. Do it because you enjoy that activity because that activity is what you will be doing all day. Don't become a surgeon because you enjoy cutting people up. If, if you, don't, don't become a sculptor because you like sculpture. Yeah. Become a sculptor because you like
1: chisels. Do, <laughs> do you enjoy writing?
0: Yes, I love it.
1: Do you? I okay, love it, but I I'm can't. a bit weird like that. I, I love grammar and syntax
0: and all those boring things mm. that everyone else, um, you know, didn't think about
1: and, and tried to avoid at school. I love them. So yeah. that's, yeah. it well, that's, works that's, for me. That's a good piece of advice. Um, uh, what mistake do people make? Is that the second question? Have you just answered that? Yeah, one? Well, yeah I think okay. I kind of answered that. Any life hacks? Life hacks. Um,
0: okay, I've got, I've got a couple. i got a drinking-related one. The way to find the best pub is always to go down a dark alley. (laughs) This is the extension of the rule. Like When you're on Uh holiday, never go to the restaurant or bar right next to the tourist attraction. Never go to the restaurant right by the Eiffel Tower because it will be overpriced rubbish. But if a pub or a restaurant can survive when it's down a dark alley, that means all the locals must know it. It must be good enough to get the passing trail and people actually learn where it is and bother going back. I, so always go there. Don't go to the one on the high street.
1: I went to Memphis. Uh, Memf- um, where did I go to? Where did, where's Elvis Presley from? Grace, Memphis. Memphis, Memphis. Yeah, yeah sorry. I a bit, bit strange then. I went to Memphis and I said to my, i got in a cab with my friend and we said, take us to a bar, but where the locals go, not the tourists. So he took us to this bar we went in there and there was a pool table. We had a beer, and this guy came up, and it was really run down bar. And one, I remember the bloke playing Paul had a hook as a hand, like oh. uh, yeah. And the other guy came trying
0: up, trying to work and went, out how that even oh, works. Yeah, a pool well, no, Yeah, oh, the bees. You'll break the bees.
1: No, he, he was fine, but he had well, like, kind of like a. It, it wasn't a sharp hook like a pirate mark. It was like a. <laughs> like, so anyway, so so he, he was playing, and then this guy came up to me in the toilets. You know, all right. So well, he did American accent. I went, hi. And he went, you're English? And I went, yeah. And he said, what on earth are you doing here? Are you mad? <laughs> 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 I went back out with him. He goes, this is one of the roughest pubs in, the, in Memphis. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? And we got on really well with them because we were from Britain. And I think they could tell I didn't have any money. Yeah. So, so they were absolutely fine. But your rule's great, apart from if you end up in the wrong bar. Yeah. So, yeah, be careful. What what was the other one you You had? You said you had two life hacks, did you? Oh, the other one is have a, a travel drawer. Have everything you need
0: for traveling in one drawer, like your passport or your foreign currency, sponge bag, already packed, phone charger, always have the phone charger, everything you need, That's put it idea. in one drawer, I've got one drawer, so whenever I'm going away, take out that one drawer, go through it, everything I
1: need is there, I have including a, the- I have a travel man bag, very similar. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so, um. all right, Jason Fleming, actor and director, top man, uh, started something in this podcast, Michael Caine came on, uh, he started talking about Michael Caine, told us a story and we thought we would ask a lot of our guests whether they had a Michael Caine story, it doesn't matter if you don't, but do you have a Michael Caine story? I do not have oh, a Michael
0: Caine okay. story. Never met, have,
1: you never met Mike, have you not met Michael Caine? I have not met
0: Michael Kane. I okay. remember meeting Michael Caine. I, I, I heard a Oh, I, I've got a Michael Caine story. It's a story about Michael Caine. I've not met him, but I saw him telling this story once on a documentary. <laughs> first first um, film audition he ever went to. He walked in yeah. the door, and they said, next. And he said, but you haven't seen me act yet. And they said, you see that line on the door frame behind you? He said, yeah. He said, that's the height of the leading man. And there's not going to be anybody in this film taller than that height. Oh. That's how they tend to do things in films, and that's why you have the leading man is always the tallest guy, even if it's a very short actor. And you start realizing you see films in a slightly different way.
1: Very good. Um, what is it like? Uh, oh, sorry. F- final question for you. What is the meaning of life, Mark? Um, life.
0: I have a feeling that in the Oxford English Dictionary, um, memory here, is it life or love? Life, the first definition they have is a a kind of rafter in a medieval barn or something like that. And then the second definition is, you know, the quality of living. Um, I don't know what the meaning of life is. 41,
1: 43, something around there. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mark, um, if people want to get in contact. What's your next book, by the way? Have you decided yet? No, no idea at all. Okay, just going back to your first point, actually, the the piece of advice. How long does a does a book take to, to write on on average? Because it's a commitment, isn't it?
0: It depends. There's a difference between the writing and the. Rec- I mean, for me, yeah. when I'm doing nonfiction, I've got to research it all and then do the writing. Right. Um, the writing can actually be done in
1: a few months, or the research. But the research quicker, can take. But the take, research one, yeah.
0: can take uh, I mean they're searched it's as long as you like but it can be a lifetime you know
1: yeah okay so um if people want to follow you where do they go oh uh inky a-
0: fool on Twitter or yes uh, there's a facebook page also called inky fool I believe or there's my blog called inky fool yeah you do a blog don't you what what's on your blog um I uh, it's usually about language and yeah funny little stories about that actually I was gonna write a- I was wondering uh, went around to see a friend yesterday, two days ago, and uh, they've, they've, they've got a new little baby and the midwife was coming around. I was thinking, why are they called midwives? I have no idea. I must look this up. I was going to write, that's going to be my next blog post. Is it that you have a northern wife and a southern wife and a midwife, or <laughs> a good wife and a bad wife and a midwife? I'm, I'm just interested. So, I'm so, gonna...
1: so every time you hear language, you get interested as every to where time, it comes yeah, from. Yeah, you
0: suddenly pick up on a word and go, wait, why? Where's and, that? From? And does
1: it intrigue you with modern language as well as old fashioned language? Old fashioned language? old oh, oldie days language?
0: Yeah, modern language can be just as interesting and weird. Okay. Why? Is, why do computers boot up all that stuff? Oh, why of thing. do they? Uh, it's from bootstraps—the idea of pulling yourself up by your
1: bootstraps—and
0: oh. uh, that became when uh, computers first start, managed to start themselves yeah. in the nineteen sixties. This was—it um, was referred to as the c- computer bootstrapping. And then it, that got um, uh, shortened down to the computer
1: booting. I office. think when words change their meanings, it's quite interesting as well. Um, like uh, or they extend their meanings. Like the video um, is used now for everything, isn't it? So if you look, if you yeah. if you send someone a film, you're some sometimes some send them a video. or Let's have a look at that video. Or and in TV we use um, VT, which is, stands for videotape. Run VT. And there's no video involved in it at all anymore. Yeah, but yeah, even
0: but... When, there w- when it was video, you were still calling it footage, and we still call it footage. Yeah. Now, footage refers to a length of film. It's how many feet of film. Now, you're like, you know, like six yeah. feet. um, How long is the film? It's so many feet. That's your footage.
1: I wonder where podcast comes from. Do you have any idea? Anyone have any idea? Uh,
0: it's a alternation alteration broadcast, I think, and yeah, along with the pod, bit? the iPod, iPod.
1: Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Oh, okay. On that note. (laughs) Mark, thank you so much. Uh, Your book is out now, A Short Short. History of Drunkenness. Um, Thank you very much for coming on. Um, Hopefully, I'll see you soon with your next book. Great, yeah. See you soon. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So that was Mark Forsyth's book, A Short History of Drunkenness. Um, uh, It's uh, fascinating stuff. I I, I still think it's fascinating that there was – a, a certain stage that America managed to get rid of alcohol yeah. for a while. I yeah. mean, that is that, that is, is astonishing. Yeah. There's some
2: actually. There's a couple of really great films if you're interested. Um, one is called What the,
1: About Prohibition?
2: About that pro, pro, the prohibition era and yeah. what he was talking about. You know, he's we always talk about the New York or the the big city stuff. Yeah. So there's one called um, Once Upon a Time in America. Have you seen that? Yeah, uh, De Niro film. Yeah, so, really long. That's it's very a, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah can't remember, but
1: it's, I remember it's thinking it was It's fantastic.
2: Cool. And another one has got Tom Hardy in it, and it's called Lawless. And that's the outback in the like in the countryside where they're making Moonshine. And it gets, it's quite violent, but it's very, very good.
1: I think if I've you, seen it. I can't very remember.
2: Good. And the other one, of course, it's not a film, it's a TV show, but Boardwalk Empire. Oh, man, that's not good. I've not seen that. If they've got that on, I think you've got Sky Q, haven't you, or something like that? Yeah, I've i I think they've probably got that on there. Sky Atlantic or something. Brilliant. It's um, your man in it. What's his name? Don't, I don't know, know can't rather. remember. But anyway, really very good. So check those out if you're interested in Prohibition. Really cool. Good.
1: All right. Well, listen, that's it for today. We'll be back soon with another um, Dear love, joy podcast. If you want to contact us, you can by um, on Twitter at Tim Lovejoy on email, at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us. You can uh, rate us five stars, please. You can leave comments anywhere. And we'll be back very soon. So for the time being, peace and love,
2: joy. Drunk monkeys. Bye.